Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I'm your host. Thank you so very, very much for listening. Anything you can do to help out the show is appreciated. Any like, comment, subscription, star rating, written review, any and all of that is at all, uh, if that is at all possible, please do so. If you've done that, share on your social media platform of choice or wherever you, if you know anyone in real life, is real life still a thing? I mean, the pandemics, the majority of restrictions associated with the pandemic are over, so real life is a thing again. So that kind of does depend on where you are in the world, though, doesn't it? Uh, I think China in certain places is locked down again. I think Shanghai uh, got locked down pretty heavily recently. So that is going to vary depending on, again, where you are in the world. Uh, here in the United States, it still varies a little bit, but for the most part, not quite so much. A lot of, mostly it's back open. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not aware of any significant restrictions, at least, uh, at least where I live, again, my specific state. So... If you know people in real life, feel free to tell them about the show if you think they'd enjoy it. That's always appreciated as well. All right. On the agenda this evening, last night, UFC on ESPN plus 65. What was a card? Uh, yeah, we'll go over that. Uh, probably more pertinently, this upcoming Saturday is UFC 275. The UFC is in, I believe, in the Kalong uh, Stadium in Singapore. I'll double-check the venue when we talk about it. Uh, for that pay-per-view, two title fights, a rematch of maybe, I think, at least the best uh, women's fight in MMA history. So we'll give you a full preview of that pay-per-view and talk news of the week such as it exists. And there's a bit of news this week here and there, so we will do all of that. All right, that's the usual preamble out of the way. So let's jump into the meat of what we've got going on here. Last night, UFC on ESPN Plus 65. In the main event, you know, before I get to the fights in particular, um, there's a bunch of people who are kind of UFC uh, sycophants who try to deny that the quality of cards tends to be a little bit, has been like declining, it's been diluted, it's been watered down. And it, I don't understand these people when they try to claim that it's not true. It's like incontrovertibly true. The the reason it's happening is the UFC has to hit a certain number of events to get a guaranteed giant payout from ESPN for all the content they produce for them. The end result of that is they don't actually care that much about individual ratings, especially for stuff that's almost entirely streaming, and I believe this was entirely on the app. The UFC doesn't care how many people watch that necessarily. Frankly, I don't think ESPN cares all that much as long as they're driving a high enough subscription rate as a general rule. So they throw out a bunch of this stuff that is, under other circumstances, would be high-level regional MMA. And I don't... I'm not trying to insult that. High-level regional MMA is pretty darn good in some cases. Uh, but... That's what a giant chunk of this card was. Not all of it, but a lot of it. And that's just kind of the way it is. Like The UFC is perfectly content, especially... Here's the other thing about this. This is especially true of events that take place at the Apex. 
the UFC has a couple of fight nights that are going back on the road in the near future, and they have put some effort into putting on some darn good fights there. Like if they're if they have to sell tickets, uh, they put on they put in more of an effort. Now it's not that they don't sell they sell a limited number of tickets to these Apex events, uh, and they're like, exorbitantly expensive. But they're not trying to like they don't need quality content to draw in a bunch of paying customers. So they tend to give us stuff like this, and it's not all the worst thing in the world. Uh, this card was not the worst card of the in the world. It wasn't the worst card of the year thus far, even. Uh, not by a fairly significant margin, actually. But it, if you've been around for any length of time, you understand that there was a time when the UFC product represented an extraordinarily high standard. The, uh, the top of the UFC still represents, in my opinion, the best. Now, there are fighters outside the UFC who I think could beat UFC champions, or at a bare minimum, be very competitive with them. It's not that those people don't exist. They do. They deserve to be acknowledged. But if we're talking broadly, the UFC has a functional monopoly on top-tier MMA talent. They have the majority. Like the vast majority. And that's just kind of the way it is. And they tend to reserve that for non-ESPN Plus fight nights that are taking place at the Apex. Here you get a bunch of guys who are on, you know, they've gone kind of 50-50 in the UFC, or they're making their debuts, or they're on a losing streak. Like, that's who fills out these cards. People who, you know, if they were in promotions like LFA or uh, King of the Cage or something like Titan, uh, they were in these other promotions, they'd be at the top or very near it for any of these more regional shows. Uh they they don't necessarily hold to the same standard as the top of the UFC. And that's some of that's because the UFC has changed its approach. Uh, being in the UFC doesn't mean what it used to mean. Uh, that It's still desirable. It's still where most fighters, I think, want to end up. It still gives you the opportunity to make the most money. Now, let me... There's people who have been kind of critical of that, who have been in the UFC, and who in some cases you know, have more specific knowledge than I do. So, for the, to repeat, you have the be, the opportunity to make the most money in MMA if you're in the UFC. That does not mean you will. But there is, uh, I mean, who was it, Shoeface? Uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. who said, you know, I, I made more for my PFL fight than I did in all of my UFC fights. You might think, well, how could that be possible? And he explained, actually. His manager kind of did him dirty coming off of that season of The Ultimate Fighter, he was on like a 10-fight deal, and if you sign a 10-fight contract with the UFC for low money and you're good, there's a decent chance they're going to make you fight as close to all 10 of those fights as they can, paying you very little, while increasing your level of opposition, because they don't want to pay you anything more than they have to. So he got he got a little bit screwed on the contract there, and do I, I don't really have a problem thinking that he might have made more... And he might also be talking how much he grossed for the PFL fight versus how much he netted for the... Like, there can still be a little bit of... Like, there's ways to make what... For him to be saying the truth 
uh, utilizing a specific set of parameters that I, again, I, I'm not calling them out a liar at all. I just want to be abundantly clear about that. I'm just not sure exactly, again, the specifics of what he's saying. But you know, the UFC does offer you the, be the best opportunity to make the most money. No one in Bellator is making what Conor McGregor or Jorge Masvidal or uh, even someone like, even Adesanya, you know, like, those, like, if you're a UFC champion with a decent following, you're going to be making more in the UFC than you would in Bellator or PFL or probably one. Like, one championship's weird, uh, because their finances are weird. Like, that's where you're going to make, that's where you're going to have the opportunity to make the most money. Now, that doesn't mean you will. And the UFC's business model is horribly oppressive to its fighters, but that's a whole other discussion. The long and the short of this is, those people who, like, you know, who refuse to acknowledge the declining fight card quality, like, I don't know what you think the UFC is, uh, like, not to bust out this old chestnut, but, uh, you know, you're not going to good guy your way into their graces. I, I, I don't understand, I don't understand the people who just vehemently defend every decision the UFC makes like this or from any sort of reasonable criticism. I like the I like the sport. I like the UFC as a general rule. That doesn't mean that a lot of these fight night cards are essentially irrelevant. Like if you didn't watch this card, what did you miss? You didn't miss much. You didn't miss much of value. Like you had two fights here that were between ranked opponents. Uh you had two of the top ten, but neither top five heavyweights. And you had, I think, number 14 and number 10 at featherweight in the co-main event. So uh, those were, you know, relevant fights. But everything else? It's... Again, there's not a whole lot here that says, uh, you must watch me. Now, I do because I enjoy the fights. But there's not... A lot of these fight nights are not terribly compelling, and that kind of needs to be said out loud, and this was kind of one of them. Now, as for the action, which is what you're all here for, hopefully. Main event, as I mentioned, Alexander Volkov defeats Jarzinho Rosenstrike via TKO punches 212 of the first. Um, did not expect this to end in the first. <sighs> Man. Rosenstrike just, he, he doesn't throw enough. And when he starts throwing, it's this weird thing with his head. Like, his chin comes up, especially when he's going forward, and it makes him a pretty easy uh, target to counter. At long range, Volkov just immediately got to work, just stabbing him with front kicks, inside leg kicks, high kicks, just busy. Cracked Rosenstrike with a right hand. Rosenstrike kind of got a little bit wobbled and started to throw back, but Volkov realized, oh, no, you're hurt. So he pushed him all the way to the fence and just unloaded uh, Rosenstrike wasn't happy with the stoppage. Uh, I understand him not being happy with it, but it was a fair stoppage. Uh, he got rocked twice in pretty rapid succession. He dropped to a knee. And he was able to kind of scoot away from Volkov, but that's after Herb Dean had stepped in. Uh, I mean, he could this have gone longer? I don't. I don't think if... We get two more punches that, you know, if, if there's like two or three more punches that land, I don't think we're all going. This was a horribly late stoppage. But this was a perfectly acceptable stoppage. Uh, Volkov defends his spot. Rosenstrike seems to have hit his ceiling. 
Uh, he's he's around number 10, I think, at heavyweight. He was number 7, I think, coming into this. Uh, he'll drop. He's, he'll probably drop out of the top 10, or will soon. If he didn't, if he, if not because of this, then fairly soon. I think that's where he's gonna float, somewhere between like 10 and 13. Uh, that seems to be just kind of where his skill set is at the moment. Um, you know, Volkov's a pretty long distance away from a title shot. Uh, this was kind of him just defending his place in line. So, at least it didn't go long. Uh, it's, that's kind of the big takeaway from that. Uh, featherweight. This one had my attention. Uh, this was the one I was most looking forward to, actually, in this whole card. Movsar Evloyev defeats Dan Ige via unanimous decision, 30-26 and then two 30-27s. I was 30-27, but I understand that 30-26. Uh, Ige had a good for. It's weird. When you see guys who fight like Evloyev, uh, he fights a little bit like you know, Islam Makhachev, uh, a little bit like Habib. Not quite as relentless as Khabib in some respects, but that's a... Khabib is you know, a kind of a unique animal in that way. But if you look at guys who fight have to fight off these just dogged wrestlers, they tend to do... like if They're drilled for it, right? Like, the, the smart fighters have prepared for this. They have a good first round. Like, Ige lost the first round, but he didn't get smashed. And he didn't get dominated. He lost. But he was never, he didn't, he wasn't controlled for that much of it. He, he didn't land a whole lot of punches. But, like, he just, he didn't let Evloyev kind of run over him. Again, it was a competitive round. A clear round for Evloyev, but a competitive clear round. That distinction makes sense. But the guys who fight in this style, who know what they're doing and are committed to it, you have to do that for three rounds. And Ige had a good enough first defensively. But the more that wore on, the more he wore down. Uh, Evloyev's back to... Uh, you know, his wrestling is just very good. He's mixing in his strikes very well. Uh, he's fought five rounds more than once. If you follow... You, know, you can look up some of his M1 fights. He was their... Uh, was he their bantamweight or featherweight champion? Double check that. Yeah, he was their bantamweight champion, and he, uh, when he won it, that was a unanimous decision over five rounds, and his def and his second defense was a unanimous decision, or into the fifth rather. Sorry, not a decision. Ended in the fifth. Uh, he's yet to finish anyone in the UFC, which is kind of a. It's a it's a hurdle he's going to have to overcome at some point. But if you look at where he started in the UFC versus where he is now, he has grown considerably as a fighter. His hands are a lot better. He's setting up his takedowns more. He's transitioning a little bit better. He's He's gone less for pure control in certain positions than he has, you know, okay, if you want to scramble, I'll scramble with you and I'm going to punch you the whole time, which is paying dividends for him. I mean, he's had one close fight in the UFC, the fight with Nick Lentz, which... Uh, he seems to have learned a great deal from, and I thought he won, and, and so did the judges. But if you look at his other fights, like the Sung Woo Choi fight was not close, the Barzola fight was not all that close. Don't check the Barzola fight. Uh, how was that split? Why is that listed? That is listed differently depending on where you look. 
Huh. That's weird. To double check that in the future, but that's not neither here nor there for this one. Um, yeah, his fight with Mike, with Mike Grundy wasn't especially close. Fight with Hakeem Dawoodoo wasn't especially close. Like, Dawoodoo had moments. Uh, I certainly don't mean to imply that he was you know, just a ragdoll. I think he won the first. But he lost that 29-27 unanimous. So, Lavloyev had a unanimous 10-8 somewhere in there. Uh, he's getting better. And that's a scary proposition. Evloyev uh, is undefeated. He's now 16-0. He just beat the number, I think, 10 guy in the UFC. Uh, after the fight, he said he, he called out Arnold Allen. Very reasonable call out. Uh, Evloyev's a problem for that division. Again, he's getting better, which should scare you if you have to fight him. It's one thing for him to be really good, and he is. But he is improving fight to fight. He's not resting on his laurels or just refining a game that he has mostly figured out. He's still adding a couple of tools. Uh, he's a real problem. There's not a lot of guys who are going to be anxious to fight him. Uh, it sucks for Ige to lose this, but I don't quite know. I'm not entirely sure what the hurdle is he's perpetually running into these days. Um, some of this was just a bad matchup stylistically. Like you've got you got a dogged wrestler on you that no one has been able to consistently figure out. That that's rough. But this is three in a row. Uh, he struggled against Jung. You know what I think the pro I think part of the problem here is. Um, he's got he's got good technique. He's got good power. But his chin isn't necessarily the best. Uh, I mean, if you look at the fight with, again, the fight with the Korean zombie, he was winning significant portions of the rounds, and then he'd get caught. And that was a real problem for him. His, uh, his offensive wrestling is pretty good. But he doesn't seem to use it all that often. Uh, so I I don't know. I, I'm, not, again, I'm not entirely sure. He's also had... The 21 fights, how long ago? He debuted in 14. So he hasn't had a long career, but he's got some miles on him. I mean, he debuted in the UFC in 2018, and he's had a lot of fights in the UFC, actually. And so 18, you know, four. So he's been in the UFC for four years. Uh, but he fought three times in 18, twice in 19. He fought three times in 2020. Uh, he fought three times in 2021. He's kept a very busy schedule, and I'm not sure that that's been to his benefit in every instance. Uh, so, and I mean, again, if I could pinpoint exactly what was kind of going wrong for him, then I'd be training fighters because what whatever issues he's kind of running into, they're fairly sophisticated and require a fairly sophisticated response. Uh, darn good win for Evloyev. Easily his best win to date. Uh, he's, I said, he's a problem. He's a real problem for that division. Uh, also at featherweight, Lucas Almeida defeated Michael Trezano via TKO punches, 55 seconds of the third round. Uh, this was your fight of the night. Um, I picked Almeida here, and mostly because I was very unimpressed with Trezano. Uh, when I saw how big a favorite Trezano was, I was a little surprised. 
Like, I could see... I can understand favoring him. I can understand picking him. But he was north of 2-1. to one. He was like minus 225, I want to say. Something like that. Now, when I say that, I'm going off of what the odds that the UFC gives on their broadcast. That will change depending on, like, which... Uh, service you use. They're not all, they're not all identical as far as the odds go. They're usually they're usually fairly close. Uh it's rare that they're wildly apart. Just put it like that, but when I saw that, like if I was a gambling man, I might have put some money on Almeida because getting almost 2 to 1 on your return again like plus 180, I think. Uh that seemed like a that seems like a fairly reasonable value bet. And lo and behold, Almeida's winning the first round, then he gets caught with the left hook and dropped, and loses that round. Returns the favor about halfway through the second and drops Trezano pretty hard with a left hook. Uh, wins that round. Third round, he gets the finish. He uh, Really nice uh, finishing punch, actually. He slips to the outside of Trezano's straight right. Loads up the left hook, brings it around, and... Just spins Trezano around, jumps on top. Uh, really, Almeida's got fast hands. He's got pretty good feet. His defense is a little bit iffy. And he was getting tagged here, but Trezano's output has always been a problem. But uh, yeah, a solid debut from Almeida. Again, you get you know, this was your fight of the night, and I think that's fair. Uh, there were a couple of play. There are a couple of ways you could have gone with fight of the night for this card, but. Uh, Almeida and Trezano was as deserving as any of the others I, that you might otherwise name, so uh, no issues there. Women's flyweight, Karine Silva defeated Poliano Botelia with a Darce choke, 455 of the first. Nice finish from Silva, but not a great performance before that. Uh, Botelia was fighting long and kind of keeping her at range. Towards the end, she final, uh, Silva lands a right hand that seemed to kind of wobble Botelio, but Silva hit a takedown as she was going down. Uh, again, the finishing sequence, like from that punch that lands to the end, is really nice, but might have been a little bit of jitters from Silva because she she took a bit to get going. Uh, she was a, This was a fairly sedate performance for most of that first round. Let's see. Oz Ode Osborne defeated Zarek Adeshev via knockout, 101 of the first. Uh, this was a nice punch from Osborne. Uh, he was he was fighting southpaw. Um, Adeshev kind of came forward, and uh, and Adeshev was orthodox. Uh, Adeshev came forward through I think like a one-two or something approximating it. Uh, Osborne just kind of slipped back into his own right, threw a check right hook over the top of that lead shoulder of Adeshev, and just floored him. That was a really nice punch. Uh, good stuff from Osborne. He seems to kind of found himself. I think you mentioned he had moved. Uh, he's now part of Syndicate MMA in Vegas. Seems to be a good fit for him. He, like I said, he seems to have ironed out some things and really is starting to find his stride. And kicking off the main card, this was this was hilarious, by the way. Uh, Alonzo Menafield defeats Askar Moserov via TKO elbows from the mounted crucifix. 440 of the first. I picked Moserov last week, and then a couple of things came out that would have changed my opinion. This is not me saying I would have necessarily gotten this right, because I was still a little bit iffy on Menafield. But it came out during fight week uh, that Moserov's listed 
record was not accurate. He was listed as, um, I think, over 20 wins and single-digit losses. I forget the exact number that I had said. It's um, on last week's episode, if you care. But the people who run most of the websites that keep track of this stuff, you know, ShareDog, Tapology, and whatnot, once he started gaining some traction and people talking, they all got, like, notices and whatnot from other promoters and fighters and uh, and so on and so forth going, yeah, that's not his record. Uh, after proper adjustment, apparently, it was 19 and 12, which is not nearly as good as, you know, like 21 and 5 or 21 and 7 even. Like, that's, it's not good. Uh, so I, I would have picked Menafield had I been aware of that. Um, the fight itself, Menafield just got Mozarov down, abused him from top position. Mozarov fought his way up, tried to brawl a little bit. Menafield got him down again, got the mounted crucifix, and just elbowed him into the mat. Uh, but if you're curious about why, again, like the discussion about these fight cards are losing a bit of their value... Your start to the main card was uh, a guy who was, I believe, like four and... I don't say this to diminish Manifield. I believe it was four and three in the UFC coming into this. Yeah. So now he's five and three, and good for him. Yeah, it's not nothing to win in the UFC. against. But a guy who was four and three in the UFC against a guy with a mostly fabricated record. Uh, yeah. So... This was a this was a nice performance out of Menafield overall though. Um, he's been a guy who's been a bit more prior to this, a um, little bit brawl heavy. He's got power, but he was a little bit brawly, or it was a lot of clinching. He seems to be kind of integrating, uh, working on his skills and developing a more integrated game, and good for him if he's able to do so. He's got power. He's got some physical tools. So if he's able to work that out. There is still a bit of potential in Menafield. I mean, he's... How old is he? He's 34. Uh, now, at light heavyweight, that's not the same as, you know, other divisions. And he's only got 15 fights. Uh, he debuted in 15. So... And he's only had 15 fights over seven years, so there's not a tremendous amount of mileage there. But there, there's still time for him to make a go of things. Uh, as for Mozarov, I don't know. I mean, he'll probably get brought back. But, well, that's a bit of like a wait and see. Uh, we'll have to see what the UFC chooses to do with that. I imagine he'll get another fight. Uh, that was your main card. As for the prelims, uh, Karolina Kovalkiewicz defeats Felice Herrig via rear naked choke for one of the, of the second. Uh, Kovalkiewicz looks good here. Uh, she was landing longer-range blows than Herrig. Herrig was looping a lot of her punches, per usual. Anytime they got close enough to tie up, Kovalkiewicz was just grabbing a double-collar tie and firing knees to the body. She's got good knees to the body. Uh, if you'll recall, when she fought Rose Namajunas, uh, Namajunas had a good first round against her. In the second, Kovalkiewicz caught her in one of those brief clinches with a series of knees to the body that completely changed the tenor of that fight. And basically led... Uh, Rose completely shifted gears, was not comfortable. Basically led to Kovalkiewicz winning that fight. Uh, but this was her first finish in the UFC. And her first finish since... Yeah, her last finish before this one, you had to go all the way back to 2014 when she was fighting in KSW. Uh, 
by the way, KSW Vets had a really good night on Saturday. I mean, earlier in the week, uh, might even have been the week before, you had former uh, World's Strongest Man multiple-time champion Marius Pudzianowski knock out somebody, I think under the KSW banner. I believe that's who he fights for. Uh, you had Volkov here, and I think Volkov had some had some success in KSW. Was that M1? I think he fought in both. He probably did. That guy's been everywhere. Uh, you had Kovalkiewicz here. Yeah, she hasn't finished anyone in, jeez, how many years would that be? May of 14. So, over eight years. Uh, she snapped a five-fight losing streak with this. Uh, she needed this win badly. But, as I said, she looked okay. Her finishing technique on the choke was not great, but she got it done eventually. Uh, Herrig retired after the fight and given... I mean, this was her second fight in four years. Uh, the writing's been on the wall for her for a while. She was not ever really a UFC caliber fighter. I mean, even on that season of The Ultimate Fighter she was on, it's not... There's not really a lot of mystery about why she was there. Uh... The talent pool they were drawing from was a little bit smaller, and she had a fairly, she had a non-trivial Instagram following. Uh, so, uh, I mean, and to her credit, she did win fights in the UFC, and she's, uh, I don't mean to, in, I don't mean to imply that the only reason she was ever in the UFC was because she's attractive. I just think it would be disingenuous to pretend that that wasn't at least part of the calculus that went on. I mean, she hadn't won a. F I mean, she she's on a pretty good losing. She's on a pretty good losing streak before this, anyway. Yeah, she lost three in a row. Like I said, she fought what? Uh, she did not fight in all of 2019. She fought once in 2020. Did not fight in 2021. And then had this fight this year. So again, two fights in four years. That's just a terrible. That's a terrible schedule to try and keep, especially you know if you've been fighting for a long enough period of time. And to her credit, I mean, she debuted as a professional in 2009. So she's been doing this for a while. And she made it to the UFC in, what, 14? Yeah. And her ultimate UFC, ultimately her UFC record is, what, 50-50? Yeah, a dead even 5-5. Uh, five and five. Uh, She had a pretty good winning streak there at one point. I mean, she had a couple of fights that you, know, you weren't quite sure she should have gotten, but, I mean, everybody has those at this point. So I I don't have anything really bad to say about uh, Felice Herrig as far as that goes. I've never necessarily been a fan, but, you know, she's been doing this for a long time. And uh, if she's retiring, I wish her the best in whatever she chooses to do next. So, uh, yeah. Lightweight, Joe Selecki de defeated Alex Da Silva Colejo via majority decision. This was weird. There was a 28-28, which was my scorecard, a 28-27, and a 29-27. Now, Colejo uh, was deducted a point in round two. He kept grabbing the fence with his toes. I mean, there were, incidentally about this card, there were so many fence grabs on this card. I mean, just so many. Uh, De Silva here did it a lot. Um, who's the other one? Argueda got away with a few. Um, uh, Andreas Mihalidis 
grabbed the fence a fair bit. It was, there was a lot of it. There was a lot of fence grabbery that went on in this card, especially the early portion of this card. Uh, it, it tended to dry up a little bit as the fight, as the event wore on, but. So, I was 28-28. Um, I gave, I gave the Silva rounds one and three. I think he clearly won round one. Selecki clearly won round two. And with the point deduction, won at 10-8. The third round, I, I'm not upset about Selecki winning. Um, because I think that's defensible. I think giving him the third round is defensible. Um, the... Here's the 28-27. That's a little bit odd to me because... Uh, the 28-27 would mean that you gave Selecki a 10-7 in the second after the point deduction. There was a lot of back control from Selecki in that second round. I, I think he spent almost all of it there. I'm, I'm not saying that... That wouldn't. That's not the worst 10-8 I've ever seen, but I'm not sure I completely agree with it. And uh, yeah, 29-27 would be uh, giving him the third. Because give you yeah, lose the first one, 29. Yeah. So it's again the 28-27 is a little bit wonky for me. Uh, I give credit to De Silva. I mean, not for the cheating. Like, the ref tells you for the fourth time to stop grabbing the fence with your toes. You gotta stop that, man. Like, you did that to yourself. Uh, I No issues with that point deduction, by the way, from the referee. Absolutely none. Uh, Selecki struggled a lot here. He's a bit fortunate to have gotten away with this win. Uh, he struggled the first round. He got dropped. Uh, he struggled the third because I think his gas tank kind of abandoned him a little bit, and he couldn't reliably get to Silva down. He had moments. Uh, I think he did get him down at one point. But he... Um, Selecki has a lot of upside, but this was... I hope he takes from this the lessons that he needs to take from it. Because this should be a pretty stiff wake-up call for him about uh, what he brought into the cage on this card. Now, that might have been some kind of injury that he had going into this that messed with him. Uh, there's any number of things that might contribute to this. But, again, this should be... Uh, this was De Silva's second fight in the UFC, and I think he had a decent enough layoff coming into it. Uh, if you want to be... If you want to be one of the you know guys at lightweight... This should not have been as hard for you as it was. Oh, this was his fourth fight in the UFC, excuse me. This was his first fight after, like, a two-year layoff. Uh, 18 months. September. 18, 19 months, somewhere in that range. Uh, he had he lost his debut to Alexander Yakovlev, beat Kazula Vargas, lost to Brad Riddell, and then again had the layoff. But Selecki is, I believe, undefeated in the UFC. He lost that split decision to Jared Gordon. But his UFC record is like 4-1? and one? Yeah. Uh, if Again, if you want to be one of the guys at lightweight, um, the, you should have had a second and third kind of gear you could have gone to here. 
that you just did not show. So I hope he takes the appropriate lessons from it because there's a lot of ability there. His grappling is very good. Speaking of good grappling, Damon Jackson defeated Daniel Ar uh, Argueda via unanimous decision. 230-27s, 129-28. Um, don't hate the 29-28, like the third round I thought could you could give to Argueda. Uh, the first two were just all Jackson. Uh, solid wrestling from Jackson, good takedowns, uh, good back control. Never got that close to a finish. But I, I get a lot of control. Uh, Damon Jackson, he faded down the stretch this time, did Jackson, which is not something he normally does. But uh, I give Argueda a ton of credit. He took this fight on short notice. Uh, was, he replaced Derek Minner. Would have been a good fight, actually. I hope they rebook that. Uh, and Argueda usually fights down at bantamweight, I think. So, again, he gets credit, man. He gets credit for... He performed pretty darn well, all things considered. Uh, lost, again, lost clean. But plenty of other people would have been toast in the first round uh, against Jackson. So I give him credit for that. Uh, solid win for Jackson, who is a bit unheralded, especially at featherweight, but he's pretty darn good. At lightweight, Benoit Saint-Denis defeated Nicholas Stoltz via Renekid Choke, 132 of the second. Just superior wrestling, superior grappling from Saint-Denis. Uh, did a lot of the kind of Khabib-style stuff. Like get you down against the fence, look to mount the legs. Take the ride position, land punches, hit mat returns, rinse, repeat, until I get a position where I can go for the finish. Uh, I didn't mention this last time because it, it kind of escaped my mind, but Saint-Denis, his UFC debut was up at welterweight, and he fought Eliza Zalescu Dos Santos. I forgot about how bad and how late the stoppage was. And was there even a stoppage in that one? I'd have to double check. But there was a like he took way more abuse than he should have in that in that fight. So now, back at lightweight, uh, this was a solid win, solid performance from him. So Let's see, uh, bantamweight Tony Gravely defeated Johnny Munoz via knockout punches, 108 of the first. Gravely just hit this sweet little uppercut as uh, Munoz was coming in for a double leg. Cross the chin. Munoz never saw it coming. Uh, nice, nice win for Gravely here. Good stoppage. At flyweight, Jeff Molina defeated Zalgas Zumagulov via split decision. A 29-28 each way and a 30-27 for Molina. That is absolute crap. Uh, there's no way Molina took... The second, the second round. Um, was it the second? I I wish to confirm this before I put my foot too far into my mouth here. Uh, let's see. Yeah, the second. Uh, uh, Zuma Gulov not only pretty badly rocked Molina with a left hook. Uh, he had some good he had some good wrestling control, a couple of good takedowns. There should not be a 30-27 for Molina. Now, I scored the fight for Molina. This is not me complaining that he won. I gave Molina the first and the third, which I think is... I think 29-28 for either man is perfectly acceptable. Uh, you, you can easily defend 2-1. to one. Uh, The third round, I think, was the one that uh, would have been the swing round. Uh, you give Molina the first... You give uh, Zuma Gulov the second, and then I think the third round was what swung it. 
Uh, you've had her the first. Might have been the first that was closer than the third. The first and third were very similar rounds, so forgive me if I get some of the details mixed up in my head. Um, so, not complaining that Molina won. Didn't like the 30-27. Uh, Zumagulov is a lot better than his record in the UFC indicates. That's a tough guy. But uh, Molina's really starting to kind of come into his own a little bit at flyweight, so good for him. He persevered through a couple of tough spots. Molina's got some talent. Uh, welterweight, Renat Fakhradinov. Excuse me, Fakhradinov. Uh, defeated Andreas Mihalidis via unanimous decision. 2-30-26 is 1-30-27. 30-26 is the appropriate scorecard. I did not give uh, Fakhradinov a 10-8 third. That was my mistake. Mea culpa, when doing that live, he should have had one. Um... Yeah, just relentless attacks from uh, Fakhrandinov. Uh, very much, again, kind of operating in the Khabib meta. Uh, just dominant grappling, good control. Worked pretty solid ground and pound. Uh, yeah, just, he kind of rolled over Mihalidis here. Uh, really solid debut. I believe they mentioned uh, on the broadcast that he was the first Tartar to uh, make his way to the UFC, which uh, the it's part of it's part of the Russian Federation. Can't remember if it's its own kind of republic that's part of the Federation or if it's just an ethnic group. Forgive me for just not, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. But you know, kudos to him then. Uh, and kicking everything off, Aaron Blanchfield defeated J.J. Aldrich via guillotine choke. This is a standing guillotine, 238 of the second. I picked Aldrich coming into this, and I think. Through the first six minutes or so of fighting, you could see why. Um, it's not that Blanchfield was getting smoked, but she was eating a lot of straight punches. She wasn't doing a great job cutting off the cage. And her striking has a long ways to go. Now, as soon as they kind um Aldrich slipped, I think, on a kick. Or got off balance somehow. Um, Blanchfield, as soon as that happened, jumped on her. Aldrich fought to her knees, looked to come up on a single leg. Aldrich, uh, Blanchfield grabbed a front headlock, maneuvered Aldrich to put her back to the fence, switched the grip to be high elbow guillotine, and by the time, I think by the time Aldrich really realized what was going on, she was in way too deep to fight it. Blanchfield's grappling is very good. Um, I picked Aldrich because I expected Blanchfield to struggle with takedowns, and she did. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, if Aldrich doesn't slip there, then there's no way Blanchfield wins this fight. It it happens. And it's entirely possible that Blanchfield was a, would be able to find another means of getting this to the mat as the fight wore on. That's very, very possible. Uh, but again, if you if you want to if you were curious about why I was wrong, just watch the first round. And that's kind of what I expected the whole fight to look like. Now, obviously it didn't, and I give Blanchfield a ton of credit for that. Plenty of other people have had opportunities like the ones that were presented here and have not been able to capitalize on them, so good for her. Uh, she's young. There's just still a, there's a bit further to go as far as development goes for her than, I, than a lot of people might have realized, I think. But good win. Uh, yeah, that was the... was your first fight, so... Your bonuses. Your fight of the night, I mentioned already, Lucas Almeida and Michael Trezano. Performances of the night went to Karine Silva and Ode Osborne. Tony Gravely got done dirty a little bit. 
Um, just a little bit. Uh, that said, yeah, I would have given it to Gravely over Silva. Uh, that said, these are... Those are not the worst decisions you could have made when it came to this, so... I'm not up in arms. I just I kind of expected Gravely to get to get one of those. Uh, just my thought on that. <laughs> but that was it. If you want my full report as well as my you know, live round by round scoring clips from Twitter of the finishes and whatnot, all from official sources, of course. MMA four one mania dot com in the MMA zone, and you can find that there. All right, let us move on. The UFC is back on pay-per-view for our next card, UFC 275. Uh, it is, it's in, sorry, it's at the Singapore Indoor Stadium in Kalong. Kalong's the city. Uh, we have a pretty good card, actually. Uh, yeah, there's not really a weak fight on the main card here. Your main event for the light heavyweight title, Glover Teixeira, uh, your feel-good champion, will defend against Yuri Prochaska. I have been saying for a while that I expect Prochaska to win this fight. Um, and not just him. Like I think if Jan had beaten Glover, I would have picked Yuri to beat Jan. I think that's just how they match up. Now, I'm not saying Glover Teixeira can't win this fight. That would, that's a giant disservice to the man. He is a case study in perseverance in gritty determination in refining your skills in the face of adversity in not letting the setbacks destroy you all of that stuff it's great it's a great story and glover is a very very good fighter and he deserves all the credit in the world he earned every inch of what he has here's the problem that he's going to run into here his takedowns aren't great. They he can get the job done, especially if he's able to kind of surprise you by getting you by lulling you to sleep a bit with the hands. But most of his hands are the same combination. This was much this is not as true now as it was earlier in his career. If you watch some of his earlier fights, man, his punches are the same thing. It's the same uh 23 2-3, 2-3, 2-3 over and over and over and over again. Uh, it's not that bad anymore. He has worked on that clearly and good for him. But he does kind of need to lull you to sleep a bit with the hands, get you thinking about your guard coming up high before he goes after your hips. That's how he got yawn. That's how he gets a lot of people. And he takes damage along the way. So his takedowns, again, they're, they're, they get the job done, but they're not great. His top control, however, is exceptional. Uh, if that guy gets on top of you, you are in... You're in deep. You cannot give him opportunities to pass because he establishes control after he passes. It's one of those things about uh, a lot of modern MMA. Passing is an opportunity for most fighters. Like if you're on top and you've got full guard, if the other guy is going to pass your guard, when his weight shifts and he makes that move, that gives you an opportunity to do something. It's part of the reason mount is kind of a lost art in the UFC. In MMA generally. Because in the act of passing to mount, there's a fair bit of opportunity there for the guy on bottom to create motion, to capitalize on your weight shift, and to get you off balance and then initiate a scramble. Uh, 
uh, Glover's one of the very best at reestablishing control after he passes. Uh, watch his game a little bit and you'll see what I'm talking about if you know what to look for. Other guys might be able to pass. They might be able to pass your guard pretty easily in some cases. But they're not as good about reestablishing control in the new position. You see a lot of guys who, uh, in fact, some guys on bottom will open up like, go ahead, pass. Go all the way to side control. And then I will use that motion and your, uh, and your resultant weight shift to initiate a scramble, you know, bridge up, roll onto my knees, come up on a single leg or disengage. Like there's any, any number of ways to do it. But Glover is, again, he's exceptional at, I've got you down. I'm going to pass. And as soon as I pass, I am back in control. Um, Rafael dos Anjos is pretty good at this, but I actually think Glover's better than he is. Uh, he, he shuts down scrambles in ways that very few do. I mean, even very, very dominant wrestlers, a lot of them are just happy to scramble with you, especially nowadays. Like, I know I can win from this position, so if you want to start, you want to start motion, you want to tire yourself out, I know what to do from here, and I will let you do so. Glover's a lot more shut you down. And it is a... It is a real skill that that man possesses. So once he gets you down, it's very hard to get out from under him. Uh, again, not impossible, but that's not easy. You've got to be moving quickly to stop him from establishing control. But one of the, the things that one of the things that stands out to me is that Glover takes some damage. Um, there was a time when he was getting hurt so regularly in fights that a lot of people started to kind of raise the question, like, is this still advisable for you to be doing this? Because you... Let me fought a... Was it Carl Robertson? He's normally a middleweight uh, who fought him. Yeah, it was. Dude, Robertson knocked him out a couple of times in their fight with elbows. Uh, and just... He was able to keep moving enough, and the ref... Or, you know, he'd get hit and kind of go down... And then hit again and kind of like, oh, here I am, I'm still fighting. And it was enough for the ref to not stop it. And he persevered and won the fight. So, again, good for him. But uh, Kutalaba, I think, hurt him a little bit. Krylov hurt him. Smith didn't. But Smith was way too... Dude, that fight was rough, man. Anthony Smith was just a bit too comfortable trying to play off of his back in that fight. Um... Tiago Santos hurt him. If you guys remember that fight, Santos nearly finished him in the first round. He came real close. And I just tend to think that a guy with the penchant for violence of Yuri Prochka, that's a rough matchup. Now, I might be wrong. I am not saying that Glover Teixeira cannot win this fight. In fact, I, again, if I were setting odds, I, I might have Prochka as a favorite, but it would be slight. It uh, would not be much. Uh, I'll also be setting odds to induce betting. Yeah, I actually might put Glover as a slight dog to begin with to kind of get people to bet. But I I kind of like Prohachka here. Um, I think his variety of offense is going to be a problem. I think his ability to inflict... It's one of those things, man. It's one thing to have power. Which And Prochka has power. I don't mean to imply that he doesn't. But there's a difference between guys who have power. Francis Ngannou, again, has power. A lot of guys. 
and people who are good about inflicting damage. Those aren't always the same thing. Tony Ferguson inflicts damage, especially on his run. Like, not as much anymore, but he that man would inflict damage. And again, that's not to imply that Tony Ferguson didn't have power. He actually broke someone's jaw with an uppercut early in his UFC run. Uh, Aaron Riley, I believe. But he didn't have a lot of straight knockouts. He had a couple of... He had stoppages due to strikes. But he put damage on you. Cain uh, Velasquez was kind of the same way. Right? Like, you fight Cain... That's going to damage you. Uh, Junior Dos Santos, actually, if you look at his run, was a good mix of both. Had serious power and would put the hurt on you. Prohachka will put the hurt on you. Look what he did to Vulcan Uzdemir. You know, he damaged Vulcan Uzdemir before that finish. Look, I mean, that's like the Reyes fight. You know, he damaged... Reyes. Prohotchka, that's one of the things he does. Like, Not everything he does is going to be a knockout blow. But I do feel that everything he does is designed to seriously compromise you. And Teixeira might well win, and I'm going to wind up looking foolish. If Teixeira comes out, hits a very quick double leg, and just like dominates him, then I will eat all the crow in the world. Um, would it surprise me if he did that, actually? As close as I think this fight is, would it surprise me? No. Honestly, no. It would not surprise me if Teixeira comes out, either hits a double leg or gets Prohachka to take that really bladed stance he does on occasion, and then just hits a snatch single leg and runs the pipe. Uh, won't surprise me one bit. Either guy could... Here's how close I think this fight is in a lot of ways. Either guy could win this fight in dominant fashion, and I would not be surprised. I think the only thing that would surprise me is if Prohachka straight up outgrapples Teixeira. Anything else is fair game. So, but I, I'm just leaning towards Prohachka, and that's kind of again, that's kind of where I've landed on this. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure that Yuri Prohachka is the best light heavyweight in the world, uh, but. I've, I do like his style. I liked it against Jan, and I do like it against Glover. Um, so, that's your main event. Should be a good fight. Co-main event. Valentina Shevchenko, the undisputed women's UFC flyweight champion who hasn't lost a fight since... Who, has, who is undefeated at flyweight... Uh, yeah, because her yeah her only losses her her cut stoppage loss to her Liz Carmouche was at bantamweight. Then she was at bantamweight uh, through all of her UFC career. Had the two losses to Amanda Nunes, the second one being very close. Uh, then yeah, she's never lost at flyweight. She's on a what six or seven fight win longer than that. Hang on, one two three four six. Yeah, she's on an eight fight winning streak. Uh, has finished her last two opponents. Um, yeah, she beat the crap out of poor Lauren Murphy, man. That was not a competitive fight. Uh, I, I, I mean, the way she beat Jessica Andrade before that was more dominant than a lot of us expected. Um, I mean, I picked her and I picked her handily for that fight, uh, despite how much I appreciate Jessica Andrade. 
But the Andrade fight, again, it didn't play out as competitive as it is on paper, which speaks to how good Valentina is. Uh, but, yeah, that, that Murphy fight, man. That's rough. that's a rough one to rewatch. Like, it's just... It's just a tough fight to rewatch. <laughs> Poor Murphy getting her face badly rearranged. I mean, Lauren Murphy's face... I mentioned this in the lead-up to that fight. Like, she she takes damage. Like, it shows on Lauren Murphy. Fairly easily. And some guys... Just, some people just mark up more easily than others. Murphy marks up, and... Uh, Shevchenko just... Oof. Uh, she's defending her title against Tyla Santos. Um, Santos is on a four-fight winning streak, last defeating Joanne Wood via rear naked choke. She has wins over Roxanne Modafferi and Jillian Robertson. Um, a lot of people are going to completely dismiss Tyla Santos. I am not going to dismiss her. Uh, she's a pretty good fighter. She's got good grappling. She's got a decent enough Muay Thai game. Uh, she's a, she's a good fighter. And that's going to get lost a little bit in the preview of this, because everybody and their dog is going to pick Valentina Shevchenko, including me. And then she's going to be a gigantic favorite. She's probably going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of minus 1,400. Which is a huge number. And I, I just want to make, I just wanted to take a moment and say, you know, Look, I'm not picking Tyler Santos here, and frankly, if she did win, it would surprise me. But she's not the worst fighter to fight Valentina for this title. And there's a lot of people who are going to, again, completely overlook her, and I think that's unfair. I'm still picking Valentina. I don't have any qualms about picking Valentina, and I will be very surprised if she loses. That's just kind of how things are at the moment. But she is going to lose at some point. Everyone does. So, just wanted, I just wanted to make sure that Santos, when I talked about this, didn't get completely overshadowed. Like, well, here she is, some nameless, faceless uh, sacrifice being led to slaughter. Like, that, that's not quite how this goes. Look, the UFC is desperate to try and find challengers for Valentina. I mean, Santos is ranked number five, I think. And she's getting the shot partially because Shevchenko has beaten everybody ranked above her, some of them more than once. So there's a little bit of that going on here, but Santos is not a bad fighter. And I, I just didn't want to be one of those people who's, well, sure, here's, here's Pig Hostage. Might play out that way. Be very clear about that. Might play out that way. But I'm not going to do the fighter the disservice of completely dismissing them in this sense. Uh in the preview still heavily favor Valentina. She's just good at everything. You know, she's good at managing distance. She's good about timing you. She's good about weapon choice. She's physically, she's incredibly physically strong. Got a good clinch game. Got a good top game. Good about, good about submission attacks. Good about ground and pound can fight five rounds. Like there's not really a, a consistently exploitable hole in Shevchenko's game, unless you're a... The only thing I haven't seen her really have to deal with is a consistently dominant wrestler, and that's mostly because they don't really exist in the UFC at women's flyweight. I mean, for a long time, uh, 
Uh, I was I'd be very I was very interested to see her and um Oh, her name escapes me. Why is her name escaping me? Tatiana Suarez. Because Suarez is a very good wrestler. Uh one of the few, again, one of the few in this weight class. But Suarez's neck issues and whatnot have just kept her out for so long that she's kind of faded from consciousness. From the the public eye, at least. So I I don't think that Santos... I don't have a reason to pick Santos. I need a darn good reason to pick against Valentina Shevchenko, and I I don't think Tyler Santos really presents that. All right, our featured fight, a rematch between Zhang Weili and Joanna Yanjacek. These two had the best women's fight ever, my opinion. Uh, that was back in 2020 when Zhang won a split decision that I did not agree with. Um, rewatching that fight, I didn't score it the same way I did live. I think live I was like four to one for Joanna, and rewatch like okay, no. But I did score that for Joanna live, and I did score it for her on rewatch. Uh, I just I don't agree with the decision. But Joanna hasn't fought since, and given the giant swelling and whatnot that occurred on her, man, her, her head, what she and what those two women did to each other on that card, I mean, good grief, they just, they just tore each other to pieces. I don't think either of them has been the same since. I mean, I won't know for sure about Joanna because this is her first fight back, but. I know that Zhang left a piece of herself in that cage. I mean, she hasn't won a fight since. Now, granted, you know, the first fight uh, with Rose got knocked out. Second fight, close close decision. Um, uh, I actually think live I scored that for Zhang. But... Uh, she's also... She turned into a very different fighter in that rematch, and I think some of that is to do with, you know, uh, Rose Namunas being very good. But I think some of it was, okay, I can't fight the way that I had been fighting after after that war with Joanna. I have no idea what to expect from this fight. Uh, I have absolutely no idea. Um, Zhang's a powerful puncher. That that gave Joanna problems in their, their first fight. Uh Joanna just. Joanna doesn't have a lot of power. Um, she's physically strong, but she's not got a lot of stopping power. And I think that became a problem in that fight. Because she was engaging in these flurries, and she'd land more punches and kicks than Zhang. But everything Zhang did had a bit more impact to it. And I think that, that kind of wound up swaying things away from her. Uh, Zhang's work with Henry Cejudo, I don't know how much that's going to pay off here, because uh, Joanna's takedown defense has always been excellent. Uh, the layoff's a problem for Joanna. Layoff's a real problem. Uh, three rounds. If this were five rounds, would it change? You know, over five, I might favor Zhang again. Over three, that might actually sway things to Joanna for me. And if Joanna wins, she's probably going to call for another fight with Carlos Esparza. 
Those of you who don't remember, because it was a, years ago at this point, Esparza was the first women's strawweight champion. She beat Rose Namajunas uh, in the finale of a season of The Ultimate Fighter to win that title. Her first defense was against Joanna, and Joanna massacred her. I mean, it's like a second-round TKO stoppage. Uh, didn't uh, Carla had nothing for her. Just straight-up nothing. If we get to 2022, and in, in the back half of this... Esparza has just taken the belt from Rosanama Yunus and then fights Joanna again. It could happen. Uh, that division... De- Women's strawweight is a good division, so I'll take what I'm about to say with that in mind. That division is in desperate need of people, uh, of fighters who are able to overthrow the old guard. Yeah, that, that division needs some turnover, and it hasn't quite got it. I am going to lean towards Joanna here, I think. Uh, might be very wrong, but that's just kind of where I am. I won't be surprised if Zhang wins this. Uh, not one bit. Uh, and Zhang versus Esparza is... It's a fight we haven't seen, at least. Uh, I'm, I am just kind of assuming that whoever wins this fight gets the next title shot, because I don't know who else you would go with off the top of my head. So, that's your featured fight. Next up, a flyweight fight between Rogerio Bontarin and Manel Kopp. This is a pretty good fight, actually. Um, Bontarin is on a rough stretch. He lost... Uh, his UFC record is 2-3 and three with a no contest. Um, lost to Ray Borg, got knocked out by Kai Kara France. Had the fight with Matt Schnell. He originally... That was a bantamweight, and we'll kind of leave that... Uh, lost a split decision to Brandon Royville. That was a close fight. Uh, Cop seems to have finally kind of come into his own in the UFC. Knocked out Ode Osborne with a flying knee and punches. Stopped Jalgas Zumagulov in the first round. Um, I'm going to pick Cop here, but if he's not minding his P's and Q's, uh, Bontarin's a more than dangerous enough grappler. And kicking off the main card, at welterweight, Jack Della Maddalena and Ramazan Amiv. This is also a pretty good fight, actually. Della Maddalena had a solid debut. Uh, showed off his boxing skills. Um, Amiv is coming off of a split decision loss to Danny Roberts. I kind of thought he won that, I seem to recall. It was on that Lad versus Dumont card last year. God, that card sucked. Um, it's a good fight. Uh... Yeah, I scored that for Amiv. I'm I'm looking at the rest of that card and kind of getting my head back into the right headspace. Yeah, I thought Amiv won that fight. I'm going to pick him here, but this is a good fight, actually. It's a, it's a solid pay-per-view opener, believe it or not. So that's the main card. As for the prelims, Jacob Malkoon against Brendan Allen. I think Allen's coming off of uh, a loss, is he not? Uh, he lost to... Okay, no, he rebounded after the Chris Curtis loss and beat Sam Alvey. Was up at light heavyweight? Is he still at light heavyweight for this? No, he's back at middleweight. He took that fight on short notice. Uh, I think pretty highly of Brendan Allen's abilities, so I'm going to pick him over Malkoon here. Uh, yeah, I'm going to pick him over Malkoon. Uh, featherweight, Sungwoo Choi and Josh Koulibau. Cooley Bell. 
is 1-1-1 one, one, and one in the UFC. Coming off of a win over Shyla Nerdonbeke. Whereas Choi... He had a, he's had a very weird UFC career as Choi. Lost his first two, won his next three. Lost to Alex Caceres last time out. Hmm. Probably lean towards Choi. Yeah, sure. Uh, lightweight, Steve Garcia. And, oh, I'm going to butcher this gentleman's name. Um, Hayasir Mahash... Machete? Mahashet? Maeshate? Where's this guy from? Um, I'm going to... He might be able to make a slightly more educated failure. Because <laughs> there's no way I'm pronouncing this correctly. Might be able to make a more educated failure. Um, where are you? There is... It's not listed here anymore. Oh, there it is. Um, oh, he is Chinese. Uh, what part of China? Okay, I have no idea how to pronounce that. I am going to have to hear it. So I apologize. Um, yeah, I'm It's going to be wrong no matter what I say on that one, I think. Uh, he's 6-1, and one, making his UFC debut. Garcia has gone 1-1 one and one in the UFC. Probably lean towards Garcia. Uh, Jake Matthews and Andre Fialho. That's a good fight. Actually, a really good fight. Uh, Fialho's keeping a very busy pace. Um, he only debuted in the UFC in January of this year. This will be his fourth fight. Because uh, he lost to Michelle Pereja in January, knocked out Miguel Baeza in April, and then knocked out Cameron Van Camp in May. Yeah, Jake Matthews... He's 27. He's only 27. Jeez. Because he's been in the UFC since he was like 18. Yeah, he, he debuted for the UFC in 2014. He's been there for a while. He's got 22 fights. Well, he might burn out early. Um, he's coming off of a loss to Sean Brady. Got a three-fight winning streak going before that, though. This is a tough test for Fialho. I think I am going to lean towards Fialho a little bit, but Matthews is going to ask some serious questions of his grappling that have not been asked yet. So keep your eye on that one. As for the early prelims, we have Mr. Perfect, Kyung Ho Kong, and Dana Batgari. It's not a bad fight. Um, Dana coming off of a loss to Chris Gutierrez. Oh, he was doing so well in that fight, too, before he got caught with that spinning back fist. Um... Kong. He's been out for a while. Yeah, he's not kept a terribly busy pace. I mean, he missed all of 2020, but for a lot of foreign fighters, uh, especially depending on where you were in the world, he's, and he's South Korean, uh, not terribly unusual. But lost to Ronnie Yaya. Two split decisions before that. And I seem to recall scoring those for him, but yeah, I'm going to go with Dana here. Uh, women's strawweight, Leong Na and Silviana Gomez-Juarez. 
Um, believe that Na has fought in the UFC at least once. Yes, she lost to uh, Ariane Carnalose. Over a year ago, she's been out for a while. Uh, whereas Gomez Juarez is 0-2 in the UFC, losing to Lupita Godinez and then Vanessa Demopoulos. Her grappling is a pretty serious liability. And we'll check Na real fast. I think I'm going to pick Na. I think I'm going to pick with uh, Na Leong here. And then kicking everything off, Jocelyn Edwards and Ramona Pasquale. Um, Edwards, I think she's one and one. One and two in the UFC. Lost both of her last fights. Um, Pasquale took a fight on short notice to get into the UFC, and then she lost to, who was it? Josiane Nunez. Josiane Nunez. They're up at women's featherweight for this? Edward is normally a bantamweight. I think I'm going to pick Pasquale. Not entirely sold on that, though, but... You know, that one, that one can go either way. Uh, Alright, that is the card, such as it is. Fairly short card, actually. That's what... Yeah, we're back to 12. So you see it's like 13, 14 fight cards. You're seeing the 12 uh, feel short. That will be this Saturday in the MMAZona411mania.com. Please do stop by, say hello. I appreciate it. Alright, uh, before I move on to MMA news, a few other results from around the combat sports world. Um, Bo Nickel, the multiple-time national champion wrestler out of Penn State here in the United States, uh, made his MMA debut and smoked some guy in 30 seconds. Um, not terribly surprising. Uh, Bo Nickel, is, I'm very curious to see how he does in MMA. Uh, he never made one of the internet. I don't think he ever made one of the international team, or the national teams that compete internationally uh, for amateur wrestling. Double-check that. Um, he earned the Dan Hodge Trophy in 2019. He's a three-time Division One national champion. Uh, but yeah, I don't think he ever... Let's have a quick look at his attempts at it. Uh, do do He's yeah. He's won some freestyle stuff, but he never. See, he made it to some. Uh, he won a the U twenty three title. Uh, that was in 2019. Let's see, how'd he do in 2020? Um, did he compete in the 2021 Olympics? I think he could have. I think he qualified for it. Uh, geez. Because he was a, ch yeah, because he, he normally wrestles at a, at a weight that's not uh, held at the Olympics. 
So Yeah, he um Yeah, he failed to make the Olympic team. Cuz they they changed some things around for that one. Yeah, ah. So again, he had some international experience in freestyle rather than nor his usual folk style. Uh, anyway, he made his MMA debut. Again, knocks him, got it, buddy out in 33 seconds. I'm, I said, I'm curious to see what he does in MMA, so good for him. Uh, what else did we have? Uh, let's do this very briefly in boxing. So there was, last night after the UFC event, which took place early in the afternoon to stay out of this event's way on ESPN+, uh, Devin Haney defeated George Cambosos Jr. via unanimous decision to claim all four major lightweight titles, uh, lightweight in boxing, of course, being 135 pounds, in the, in the world of boxing. Um, I, this was fairly easy work for Haney, who just outboxed Cambosos. Um, two of the scores were, the round total is what matters here, were eight rounds to four in favor of Haney, which I kind of figured was what people would score this, but watching this fight, that's a scorecard that's almost mailed in. There's no way, that's generous in the extreme. Um... I was kind of not 10 to 2 in favor of... There was one round that I thought could have gone... One of the rounds that I was kind of iffy about. That So if you wanted to say... So 9 to 3, I think, might be more a more accurate reflection of my thoughts on the fight than 10 to 2, but... Because I think I gave Cambosos rounds, what, 2, 11, and 12? Or 2, 10, and 12? Uh... And I think it was, it was either the 10th or the 11th, whichever one that I that I thought was close. Um, the second going to Camboso seems fair. Haney didn't do a whole lot there, and Haney didn't do a whole lot in the 12th either. But I, even giving giving Cambosos four rounds again, it's generous in the extreme. Cambosos had no consistent answer for Haney's jab, no real clinch fighting to speak of. Anytime they did tie up. Very, very muted offense. No real... He was getting turned all night by Devin Haney. Uh, Haney, only 23. I don't know how long he's going to hold on to the undisputed title. Camboso said he's going to invoke his rematch clause, which he has. This was not a terribly engaging fight. You have to be a real fan of, like, the nuance of boxing to have been into this. But if... Uh, I expect Haney to win the rematch, assuming it happens. Uh, you've got some pretty serious guys coming up at 135 for Haney. Um, but there, I don't know. I don't know if Javante, Javante Davis is weird. I think he more fights at 130. Where da Davis has bounced around a bit between weight classes, kind of why that's a little bit weird. Uh, but he might potentially be there. You've got, I think, Shakur Stevens. Uh, he's more 130. Uh, Vasily Lomachenko's still out there. And Lomachenko and Haney would be a technician's delight. I actually kind of like Lomachenko in that. 
I don't know what Haney does when he gets out techniqued, and his chin's been a little bit suspect in the past. Uh, Loma's not the biggest puncher in the world, but he'll put it on you if you give him half a chance, even less than half a chance. So there's some serious... T Lightweight's a great division. There's some serious talent there, so if Haney's able to pull... I don't know how long he's going to hold all four belts. It is kind of the long and the short of that, but good for him. Uh, I, I mean that sincerely. Good for him, man. He boxed a great fight. Uh, he really did. Um... Anything else in the world of boxing? I mean, you had Stephen Fulton Jr. just run over that guy. That, that wound up not being close. Uh, yeah, I think that's. I, th I think Haney would be the big thing that is worth mentioning there. All right. Uh, let's talk about news such as it is for the moment. Uh, Harry Masvidal and Conor McGregor have been making noise at each other a little bit. Uh. If all you're interested in it is a money fight, that's, believe it or not, if you're not going to do a trilogy fight between McGregor and Nate Diaz, and for whatever reason doesn't look like that's happening, uh, I, I do think that Masvidal and McGregor is a fight that makes a fair degree of sense. I don't know if it'll happen or not, but uh, that's kind of where we are with that. Um, a lot of people making noise at McGregor. Uh, fair number of fighters just making a lot of noise... Lately, I mean, you have the Diaz brothers still making noise about wanting to fight. You got Poirier still on the sideline for some reason. Uh, there's a there's a lot of people who could be in headlining positions for the UFC that they're keeping on the sideline for reasons that are not entirely known. Uh, let's see. Also in the terrible MMA headlines category, Paulo Costa's in a bit of legal trouble after allegedly elbowing a nurse then taking to Twitter to say that the nurse had a better chin than Luke Rockhold. Is, you idiot. Just, you know, ca casually admitting to assault like you do. Dude, Israel Adesanya broke something in Paulo Costa. I'm fairly convinced of it. I don't know what it was that he knocked loose, but he knocked something loose up there. So, at the moment, his fight with Luke Rockhold, I believe, is still on, but, eh, who knows. And, to be clear, that's also, look, I'm assuming that he, that there's the truth to this, partially because of what he's said about it, but, who knows, he might be, uh, it is still alleged, there's not, nothing has been proven conclusively in court, so. Uh, yeah, Paulo Costa, continuing to be about as MMA as you can be. All right, let's check Twitter. I think that's everything I'd written down here. Check Twitter one more time, see if anything crazy in the MMA sphere is broken. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. Nope, nothing new. So, plugs. Last week was just the usual spate of coverage, professional wrestling and MMA. Uh, there was, last week, a TV party. It'll be June 2nd for We Own This City, the HBO miniseries. That's myself, Mark Radlich, and Jesse Starcher, the triumvirate of the Radlich and Broadcasting Network. I'm not sure which of us is Caesar and which of us is Pompeii. Uh, ooh, actually took a darker turn now that I remember my history a little bit more better. <laughs> uh, we got together on Mark's birthday to 
have a good time talking about that show, the ups, the downs, the good, the bad, the ugly, so give that a listen if you're so inclined. Uh, we have a we have a good time talking about that one. This week, uh, on Damn You Hollywood, on Tuesday, there will be uh, we will be reviewing Top Gun Maverick, the sequel to a 30-year-old movie uh, that had a darn good opening weekend and a really good hold, actually, because uh, it actually came out last week, but for a variety of reasons, we couldn't uh, review it opening week. Uh, mostly scheduling conflicts and whatnot, because the real world is a thing. But it only had like a 30% drop, 33-ish, uh, from its you know, weekend to weekend, which is exceptional. Usually it's around 50, especially for big opening weekends. 50 to 60 is kind of more what you find. So that's a darn good holdover. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. I will see it before we review it. But tune in for that. That will be me, Mark, and I believe David Wright. And Jason Teasley. We'll see how that... Uh, we'll see how that plays out. So tune in for that if you're so inclined. My usual spate of coverage in the professional wrestling world. That's AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday. MLW has their um, has some special event this week. Uh, something of the Renegades? Rise of the Renegades. Uh, so I will be covering that on Thursday and WWE SmackDown on Friday. Boy, SmackDown the last couple of weeks has just been... Rough cards. Rough, rough cards. Uh, if you want my full thoughts on that, they're in the wrestling zone of, of 411mania.com. Uh, again, I do uh, SmackDown Live. That is live coverage. Everything else is a little bit more after the fact. So, But they're all up there. They all come out fairly close to when they air. Uh, and Saturday, UFC 275 in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. So please do stop by, say hello, continue to support the work. It always matters. Thank you very, very much. All right. That's it for me. We will be back here next week to review UFC 275. We will discuss all the fallout and... And? Should be an and here. Yeah, we will preview UFC on ESPN 37, which is headlined by Calvin Cater and Josh Emmett. That's a darn good fight there. Yeah, this is their event in Austin. And hey, guess what? They put a little effort into this card. Cater and Emmett, great fight. Co-main event, Donald Cerrone and Joe Lozon. That's the, uh, that got rebooked from a couple of weeks ago. Holland and Means, eh. Drive and Buckley's not bad. Ismagulov and Kuta Deladze is pretty good. Julian Marquez and Gregory... Julian Marquez versus Gregory Rodriguez is going to be stupid fun. That's going to be rock'em, sock'em robots until one of them falls over. Uh... So, we'll have a full preview of that event next week. So, Please come back, uh, per usual. All right, that's it for me. Thank you again. Deeply appreciate you all. As usual, stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.